I think I've shared this with the Thursday night group before. Um, though I've been teaching online for since the beginning of COVID, and you know, periodically bef before COVID, uh, it's a very different experience not to be. I mean, I know I don't need to tell you this. I'm, I'm, for some reason, which I won't look into that much, acutely aware of um, just not being in the same room together tonight, and. my preference for that, my preference for being in the same room together. And so grateful, you know, that we can, that we have this format available to us at the same time. Part of that comes from always trying to adjust my screen so that I can see any notes that I might have and see all of you at the same time. I think it goes without saying that uh, many of us, most of us, maybe all of us, have experienced uh, new levels and maybe even new types, if that is possible, of suffering recently. Perhaps actually for a while, as we try to make sense of the world around us. Whether it be due to the election or problematic behaviors of a negligent administration for many years. Uh, this matter, one of culture and politics broadly, I think we could say uh, perhaps power and equality more specifically, amongst other things, uh, focuses our attention on issues of fairness and ideals of kindness and compassion. Whether it be due to COVID, uh, living during this unprecedented time, a pandemic, and watching other nations make better progress, keeping their citizens safe. This matter Ultimately, in Dharma terms, one of aging, sickness, and death uh, focuses our attention um, when, we're pay when we're paying attention on the impermanence of life. And uh, with that, possibly highlights erroneous views that we can avoid harm, that ourselves and our loved ones will always be safe, will uh, live forever. The feeling that we often have these days is that anything is possible and anything is possible right now. And I think that's a real difference that has 
uh, surfaced for many of us over the past many months. We intellectually get it and have probably always gotten it. Anything is possible. Sure. Let's not argue that. However, this sense, the, the, the second part of the phrase, anything is possible right now, there's, that's, that's fresh, that's bright, that's sharp, that's in focus for a lot of us. The sense that anything is possible right now. This inherent unpredictability and uncertainty, being out of control. Forces are, forces are so much greater than us. Anything is possible, and anything is possible right now. Generally, we don't like this, right? It, um, it challenges our sense of self and our conventional sense of security. For some of us, it can cause anxiety. For others, it can cause depression. Some people have reported dread, a word that I I don't, even in my um, chaplaincy and pastoral care work, that's not a word that comes up a lot. And it it is something that's come up over the past few months. Yet this understanding, anything is possible and anything is possible right now, is a Dharma teaching consistent, I think, with the Buddha's true Dharma. Another way of saying life is inconstant, life is unpredictable, life is subject to change, and life is fundamentally groundless. I gave a talk toward the beginning of the pandemic on the coronavirus and um, groundlessness and I think it's the talk that solicited the most emails asking me to send them the talk and what I've learned from talking with people is that um, though they may not have applied that language to it they were truly in touch with a kind of groundlessness that they have um, known about through the teachings and been curious about but we're having a different kind of experience of it, not, not so much a, a rethinking of it. It had become experiential. So uh, these, are the, um, these are the major life events of our time that everyone is talking about, that everyone is experiencing. Uh, the stuff that will be documented in history books, uh, in newspapers, documentary films, I'm sure, if not already. Uh, the kinds of turning points in society that have uh, local and international implications that will be researched and pontificated over already are. The questions that, um, the questions behind the 
if you will, the contemplation um, that gave rise to this talk are what are we really concerned about when it comes to these matters? What is the, what is the actual problem that we are confronting? And um, lastly, what does the Dharma have to do with it? I mean, I think that, you know, that's just a... result of my vocation, that question is always there, right? What does the Dharma have to do with it? But that's not just a teacher question, that's a practitioner question. That's, um, that question was there for me um, in the context of my own life and the world I was living in before I, before I was a teacher, right? What does what do these teachings, what is this time we, we spend on our meditation cushion or our kitchen chair, uh, our couch, meditating? What, how, do, how do we apply that? How is it not just a temporary getting away from the noise of our life? Which is useful, but not a complete expression of the Dharma. The truth of these events is more than their names. COVID, pandemic, Trump, systemic inequality, racism, sexism, xenophobia. The truth of these events is uh, more than their names, more than headlines can convey. Words don't accurately describe experience, uh, but only point to those experiences. And as, as Dharma students, this is something we come to understand, that words, theories, and even Dharma teachings can only point to the truth. They are all approximations of the Dharma. The validity of this uh, um, position seems to become more and more uh, clear, more and more true with with the highest of these teachings, the most subtle of them. The truth of these um, life events are nuanced, they're subtle, they're dynamic, as well as far-reaching and persistent, um, penetrating into the folds of society and our, our our individual lives from these global and local phenomena there is a trickle down of stressors with implications across culture and society which impacts the hearts and minds of all of us It does seem lately that the dukkha the Buddha spoke of is heightened or more prevalent, um, more noticeable. And 
maybe even harder to alleviate. Maybe when we say this is a unique time, that's one of the things that we mean. We, we relate to these times and we talk about these times often as if they are novel. Um, though I, I wonder if these events point to underlying issues that are not at all new. Uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes I feel that what we are seeing is similar to a volcano, if you will, that, that only rarely erupts. I don't know if that's the best image or not. People build homes near volcanoes. Even whole towns sprout up near volcanoes as if nothing could ever happen. Uh, people thinking it will never erupt or are willing to take the chance. But, but the, vo the volcano is always there. The volcano doesn't go anywhere. It's, uh, in, in, in this sense, it's, it's the backdrop to our lives. It can erupt at any time under the right conditions, right? This is the truth of nature. This is the truth of the natural world of which we are but one small part. We feel ourselves at the center of that world, but we're just a, a very small node in an intricate web. As humans, we often think that we are in control but there are forces, we know this, stronger in the universe, forces more complex, extremely hard to understand. Certainly, I think COVID reminds us of that. Maybe also um, political difference and uh, political challenges also. Yeah, I think that's true. As we all know, our, our, our progress and our success in certain areas uh, certainly uh, doesn't eradicate all of our problems, right? There are always threats to our well-being. And, and part of the reason for this, if not the most significant reason for this, perhaps, uh, is that the root cause of dukkha, of distress, of suffering, is very, very hard to see. This is a central message of the Buddha. Um, said differently, though we think we're attempting to fix the problem, whatever the problem is, we're often not. We're wasting our energy, we're wasting our time. Sometimes on an institutional level, we're wasting our money. <clears throat> On top of these profound, if not catastrophic, overarching and far-reaching events, we are tending to the complexity, to the complexities of our own personal lives. Our health, our finances, our friendships and partnerships and families, our vocations and careers, we are tending our own mind and body and heart 
um, the best we can, the best we know how. How do we take care of ourselves? So many of us are asking that question. Many of us are finding it harder. How do we take care of others? If there's enough energy left over after trying to take care of ourselves. How do we take care of the systems that these crises make clear we are inseparable from? Which is to say, how do we take care of the world around us? In the deepest and most personal ways possible, I think we're always trying to find our way in the world to make the most sense and meaning of a fleeting life. Most of us, as Dharma practitioners, we want to do right by ourselves and also by others. We aim to be conscientious, at the very least, and more than that, wise and kind. It can be radically destabilizing to feel how inhospitable the world and its systems sometimes are to our efforts. Particularly when we're so certain that they are noble efforts. It can be demoralizing to see how our intentions and efforts don't easily yield um, what it feels, uh, what feels like a human right to reasonableness at the very least, peace at the very best, equality at the very best, safety for everybody at the very best, opportunity for everybody at the very best. For, for those of us whose social location is primarily of privilege, um, we might be able to feel in our lack of control something similar, uh, though certainly only approximate, to what marginalized groups and individuals have often and maybe always felt. What is outside us and seemingly out of our control is too broken. It just, it's too blind uh, for us to be free, for us to be deeply contented, for us to be safe. We want to be connected and simultaneously free of the system's brokenness. Uh, this perplexing paradox is a kind of predicament from which despair, anxiety, and depression can grow. The systems are broken, but not everyone sees that the systems are broken. Not everyone gets it, right? Um, What we think is broke, someone else thinks is not broke. What they think is broke, we think is fine. 
Even those who see that the system is broken don't always rightly see how the system is broken. So even good intentions to fix or repair fall short. There is too much ignorance for wisdom and kindness to break, to break through sometimes. How do we catch up to years, generations, decades, centuries of ignorance? We're almost better not thinking about that. At least we become overwhelmed, as many of us have. Perhaps this ignorance is the ultimate crisis. Perhaps this ignorance is the ultimate crisis, but we focus on other names, COVID, Trump, pandemic, etc. Over the uh, past six months, I have noticed uh, the impact of the world around me in my own mind and body, um, sometimes in the form of depression, uh, something that probably isn't depression, but is, is very lethargic, uh, as well as a kind of existential confusion. There might even be hints of that existential difficulty in, uh, in this talk. You might, you might have already picked up on some of that. I have also, uh, um, with I might even say great delight, uh, fortunately, and I think perhaps due to the proportion of suffering, been able to see in equal measure how my history of Dharma practice has planted the seeds for equanimity, um, a certain sense that things are okay. When I, when I lose touch with this equanimity, more often than not, I am able to wait patiently for its return. And I do lose the equanimity. I have come to see, uh, I have come to understand this as a cycle that I go through. Equanimity in its absence. Equanimity in its absence. Equanimity in its absence. I wake up in the morning, no equanimity. Okay, I know this. I've seen it before. And there is wisdom in that. Seeing the whole cycle means that I don't spend too much time believing in the solidity or permanence of the suffering stage of the cycle. And this is freedom. This is one way of understanding the relationship between insight and the alleviation of suffering. Seeing the whole cycle means I don't spend, means I don't have to spend time believing in the solidity or permanence of the suffering stage of the cycle. This is not unique to me. It's, it's not a distinctly personal 
feet. Um, this is um, this is the Dharma expressing itself. This um, this existential confusion that I mentioned uh, for me. Um, more recently, historically too, but distinctly um, now revolves around wondering if I have done enough. Have I um, done enough to make the world a better place? What if you what if what if you make a lot of sacrifices um, over decades and uh, nothing comes from that? Um, on some level, I assume it is natural that such a question might arise when one is experiencing society's dysfunctions at such an extreme level when we are experiencing uh, what I referred to earlier as unprecedented calamities. Under these conditions, it can be very hard to recognize what is right and what is enough. Questions pertaining to what is right and what is enough can sometimes mutate into, am I right? Am I enough? Am I kind enough? Am I wise enough? Have I practiced enough? Have I put my energy in the right places? When I am, uh, when I'm really absorbed in issues related to the pandemic, I sometimes wonder if I should have been a doctor. even though I don't have a strong interest in science and couldn't hardly pass math in high school or college. Nor have I ever expressed an interest in that kind of work. Um, and nor have I ever had any motivation to, 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 to uh, steer away from uh, a very focused Dharma path. When I get too absorbed in issues uh, pertaining to the political situation, I wonder if I should have uh, gotten involved more in public policy or specifically law, um, even though those thoughts also have never previously crossed my mind. And, and uh, even though from an early age, I, I only wanted to, to make art, really, you know, thinking that even at a young age, the systems were too broken to fix from the inside. And Therefore, the antidote I surmised, I decided, was just to, just to create uh, things of beauty and, and, and try to inspire the heart, um, hoping that if this was emphasized, the world would somehow be better off. This uh, existential confusion persists when I'm caught up in the minutiae of news and politics and social conflict when I am drowning in he said, she said, they said, 
when I am obsessed with statistics and talking points, when I'm in my head. However, it is, it is when I turn toward my own experience with interest and curiosity that things begin to change. When I, uh, when I take an interest in the felt sense of confusion, where it lies in the body, for instance, what is it really? Like, does it have a, does it have a location? Does it stay in that location? And if it doesn't, what does that tell me? Those of you who have done a lot of meditation will understand what I'm pointing at here. When I notice and don't turn away from my pain, my suffering, my anger, I am reminded that there is a skill greater than medicine, that there's a skill greater than law. Um, that skill is Dharma. That skill is presence, being present. That skill is non-reactivity. That skill is equanimity. That skill is the kindness and compassion that matures over time when these other factors form the foundation of our motivations. Not suffering while at the same time not turning away from the world is skill in the context of Buddhism. And when we see that in the time span of one moment, and when we see that in the time span of one moment, suffering can be turned into peace and contentment, we understand what wisdom looks and feels like. In those moments, there is nobody nor nothing more skillful or powerful. There is nothing else that needs to be done. Of course, I'm speaking on an absolute level, not on a relative level of organizational change. We don't have to be anyone else. We don't have to do anything else. This work of planting Dharma seeds is 100% sufficient. and maybe more than sufficient. Maybe that's why some of us practice Dharma, because we sense that this, is, that this goes beyond sufficiency, even if we don't yet quite know how. In these moments when the, when the mind brightens, um, it is in these moments that I'm reminded of the power of Dharma to heal. It is in these moments that we can find gratitude for the path of Dharma, assurance that our time is well spent. We might even be grateful that we are not in the halls of a state building or courtroom defending our politics because through Dharma practice, our politics have been exercised fully and have yielded their results.
what we are talking about, I think, when we revolt against the current state of affairs is both our own perceived powerlessness in the widespread greed, hatred, and delusion that cause so much suffering in our communities, our society, and in the whole world. If the Buddha were alive, he might look at us and say, I told you so. I told you greed, hatred, and delusion are the cause of suffering. Just look around. Just look around you. We should perhaps use this language more. We should refer to the problems by their real names. Greed, hatred, and delusion. These three combined are sometimes referred to as the three poisons. They are the three things that poison our own mind, our communities, our society, the institutions which have a direct impact on our own lives. So how can I say that through, quote, through Dharma practice, our politics have been exercised fully and have yielded their results? What we are talking about, I think, at least what I am talking about tonight, when the case is made that the Dharma is transformative and powerful in this way, is the understanding that transforming greed, hatred, and delusion is an inside job. When we see clearly through our own practice how non-reactivity replaces greed, hatred, and delusion with generosity, kindness, and wisdom, we see a way out. We see a path. We also see the root of the problem, known as insight. Because when the mind is stable, calm, and non-reactive, greed, hatred, and delusion do not take root inside us. This is why we are contented. We are not contented because things are going our way. We are contented because temporarily greed, hatred, and delusion have not taken root. This is why we have experiences of well-being. Not because the temperature is right, not because the right song is on the radio, and not because our partner is in a good mood. This is how we understand how important it is to fight ignorance with wisdom. When we sink into our thoughts and worries, indulge them, when we sink further under the covers of our bed that we maybe haven't made in three months, uh, when we are potentially stuck uh, on how to fix the many problems over there, we are missing an important point. As innumerable spiritual teachers have said for thousands of years, and however cliched, I'm going to say it again, or overused, the seeds of hate, the seeds of suffering, are inside ourselves. 
Now you might say, well, actually they're in our organizations. They are, but someone had to put them there. Someone had to bring them there. The seeds of hate and the seeds of suffering are inside ourselves. This is good news because it puts us in close proximity to the problem. The problem is no longer out there. It's closer actually than arm's reach. We can touch this problem every time we sit down to meditate. Maybe some of you touched it in our meditation period tonight. And once we develop our meditation skills, we can keep close watch on the cause of society's problems through the busyness, throughout the busyness of our day-to-day lives. So we could, we could uh, in a bit playfully, I think we could say, don't turn on CNN, sit on a meditation cushion, don't read the newspaper, go for a walk and do loving-kindness meditation for all beings. We can get up every day and face the world with confidence because we are empowered by this kind of understanding. The Dharma heals because it targets the root cause of suffering in the world. And we can know this for ourselves. It's, um, it's not a theory to believe in. You shouldn't subscribe to this idea necessarily. The, um, the Dharma is not a kind of club to join. We, we have no t-shirts to sell you. Um, it's an experience to attain. It's not what we think it is. The insight derived of such practices condition future behaviors. That's why we sit together. The insight derived of such experiences of practice condition future behaviors. That's why we practice together. And, and what, we are, what we are talking about the reason we are all here tonight, I think, one of the reasons we are all here tonight, the thing we share, I think, is wanting a different future, communally, socially, politically, institutionally, and personally. The, uh, the Dharma reveals itself in how it shows us that how we relate to ourselves and how we relate to what is going on in the world around us shapes our experience. The world, we could say, is not at all out there, somewhere separate from ourselves. The world is in here, in here. The world is what we make of it, moment to moment to moment. It's so easy right now to uh, look outside ourselves and find fault, uh, yet fail to see the role we play in our own agitation, our own aversion, our own checking out. 
It is true, I would argue, that some really bad decisions have been made by people in power. I'm not discounting that. It's just a different kind of talk with a different emphasis. It seems easier now to place blame on others for our anger. Uh, It is true that certain behaviors warrant anger. Uh, It's true that anger is sometimes an appropriate response to injustice. Yet it is also true that the mind state of anger destabilizes us. It is a, a great fire that torments the mind, even if it indicates where work needs to be done in the world. In times of stress, when we are confused and feel despair, we are not always skillful. We develop unhealthy habits that create more and more suffering. Our good habits, the ways we take care of ourselves, slip away. We might even claim that they were taken from us. It is also sometimes, however, a failure to adapt. We also, in times of stress, can become overly self-focused. We forget about others. We buy all three of the remaining bottles of hand sanitizer at the cash register. We don't pull up our mask when walking close to a stranger on the sidewalk. We are caught in our own preoccupations. If we hold the world with disinterest, animosity, hate, then that is the world we live in. That is the world we inhabit. That is what we give to each other. If we hold the world with reverence and love, then that is the world we live in. That is the world we inhabit. We can give that to each other. It is because greed, hatred, and delusion live inside us that they live within our institutions. And let us not be fooled by the near certain possibility of a new president. I, for one, as you know, am relieved at this prospect. I think a new president will do a better job at most things. If we are fortunate, our votes have gained us new leadership, and we might have released ourselves from a small degree of racism, a small degree of misogyny and xenophobia. But we haven't saved ourselves from these problems more broadly. Nor, as this talk points out, from their causes. In fact, if we're not careful, They simply might just not make the headlines as much. We might begin to feel better with these recent and coming changes. However, it's important to remember approximately half of the country now feels similar to how we felt for the past four years. What we need to do is eradicate greed hatred, and delusion, not win an election.
while at the same time, thankfully, I think winning the election indicates a slightly higher percentage of generosity, kindness, and wisdom in the nation's population. But let's not be satisfied with that. We're tired. We've grown tired. And yet we can't rest. As much as we would like to. We must understand that we have to do this within ourselves. We don't have to do it by ourselves, but we have to do it within ourselves. We must understand that we have to find a way to be kind to everybody so that kindness becomes a feature of our psychology and of our culture. Not of Dharma centers or Dharma people, but of all people. Something worse than Donald Trump has happened to our country, and that is the fact that so many of us have allowed hatred to root itself more firmly inside us. The Dharma holds the possibility of bringing out the best in us, of nurturing the wholesomeness of human potential. It seems to whittle away at greed, hatred, and delusion over time, like a woodcarver removes the outer layers of wood to shape a beautiful and also highly practical object. I'll close tonight with a short sutta passage from the Anguttara Nikaya attributed uh, to the Buddha. Live without covetous greed. Fill your mind with benevolence. Be mindful and one-pointed, inwardly stable and concentrated. <clears throat> 